<laughs> Hi, I'm Jeff, also known as Dad, and for this podcast, Dead. And I'm Sam Sankoff, also known as Daughter, and also known as Slaughter. Welcome back. This is the Dead and Slaughter Dad and Daughter Horror Show, the podcast where I sit down with my 15-year-old daughter, Sam, and watch her absolute favorite type of movies. Horror movies. Maybe not her favorite. At least they were her favorite before we started actually doing this podcast. But um, together, we have watched some of the classic horror films through history, and together we have come and uh, reviewed them and given our thoughts about really how we have felt watching them and what we think and whether or not we think they're worth you taking a look as well. On this episode, we are reviewing a film that Samantha really looked forward to and was really excited to watch, and that was? The Ring, which I dreaded for good reason. (laughs) And in the end, Sam, was it worth dreading? I guess you you said already it was for good reason, but, you know, just as a you know, fast forward little snippet for everyone, you know, come on. You liked it. I did enjoy it. However, I I even slept afterwards, which is coming from me a huge feat. Like that is amazing. But <laughs> but it was still pretty horrifying and it still haunts me a little bit. All right, well, we're going to get down to um, your feelings as you watch the movie and your feelings afterwards in just a second. But first, uh, as always, why don't we begin with a brief synopsis of the film? And I gather you would like for me to do that. Yes, please. I can never remember the scenes in order. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, The Ring is based on a Japanese film, uh, Ringu, which uh, essentially is Ring, uh, and sticks pretty close to the story of that original film. Uh, It takes place in the uh, Upper Northwest, the Seattle area specifically. A very rainy Seattle. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and begins with a couple of teenagers discussing a videotape. One of the teenagers, Katie, has seen this videotape and uh, she relays the story, or at least the two of them in a conversation relay the story that if you see the videotape, you get a phone call. A very creepy voice says seven days and seven days later, whoever has seen the film dies under very mysterious circumstances. Any idea how many electro rays are traveling through our head every second? I got a better one. Mm. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it. I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Then suddenly, this woman comes on, smiling at you, right? Seeing you through the screen. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. And exactly seven days later. Who told you that? Somebody from Rivera. Who told you? What's your problem? I've watched it. It's a story, Katie. No, me and Josh, we saw it last weekend. I thought you were with your parents. Uh, I wanted to tell you. You were with Josh all Some of his friends got this this place up in the mountains. They were trying to record a football game. I guess the reception was so bad. What are you talking about? Listen to me. When we played the tape, the game wasn't there. It, it was... What? What was it? 
was something else. We thought it was some kind of sick joke. And then the phone rang. It was a week ago. Well, Katie's aunt, Rachel, is uh, put onto this mystery by Katie's mom, who is Rachel's sister. And Rachel, who has a suitably creepy son, uh, Aiden, who is somewhat of a medium himself, uh, then begins to unravel this mystery. And in so doing, finds the tape, sees the tape, gets the phone call that that of the voice that says seven days, and over the next seven days, unravels the mystery and uh, is introduced to the girl on the tape by the name of Samara. Samara, a very creepy girl, uh, a very uh, horrifying trope in Japanese films, really, the uh, Japanese horror girl, as I like to call her. Uh, Samara's uh, somewhat of an evil girl. She's never really defined in terms of where her evil comes from, but suffice it to say, she's pretty mad and has a lot of anger to take out on everybody who's seen this film. The origins of the videotape are never sufficiently explained, nor do they really need to be. Suffice it to say that everybody who sees the film throughout this movie uh, meets their end seven days later, except for Rachel, because we find out uh, the trick to surviving seeing the movie is to make a copy, show that copy to someone else, and then have them make a copy and show the copy because this is how Samara exacts her revenge for all that was done to her to cause her to be so angry. And we learn uh, what those things are through uh, the course of uh, Rachel unraveling the mystery of Samara. And um, uh, yeah, so uh, Rachel then has to uh, make, uh, Rachel made a copy and actually Aiden, the son, saw that copy. And uh, when Rachel figures out that that's why she is spared, the movie ends with uh, Aiden making a copy. And uh, Aiden turns to Rachel and says, well, what's going to happen to whoever sees this? And uh, you're left with that question unanswered. Rachel uh, is uh, saving her son and uh, is obviously prepared to pay whatever price that takes to save the creepy medium son. Um, Sam, I know when we watched the film, uh, you definitely had some moments uh, where I thought for sure that was it. Mom wasn't going to allow us to continue this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what 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 was it about this movie that was so effective for you in terms of like really making you creeped out? Well, frankly, it was the atmosphere at for the mo- for the most part, and then really it was at the beginning of the movie where the visual of Rachel's niece just dead, just sitting in a closet and the closet door opens and the music just blasts and it freaks you out and she's just standing there and you can see her face and it's horrifying. And so it freaked me out and I was a little upset at you because I thought that you knew and you were just not telling me, but but you didn't remember, so I forgive you for that. But <laughs> really, that was the part that really horrified me. And I know I realize that I'm saying really a lot, but it, it was just so terrifying. And it's, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I mean, I vaguely remember that from watching it the first time. I obviously, as we saw it, I, it came back to me, but it's such a brief 
flicker. I mean, you know, it's on screen for maybe a second or two uh, when she opens the closet door and you see the the visual of the daughter and the makeup done to her face uh, to to show that she's died, obviously, in a state of shock. Uh, and you get a similar visual at the end of the movie. And it's interesting because this movie has no gore. This movie has no violence, uh, except for a horse falling off of a ferry. And um, there's like, it's unlike so many other horror movies. And that's really why I wanted to include it. Because, yes, it's a lot of atmosphere. It's a terrific mystery. And uh, there's this whole kind of, you know, what's going on in the background, like sorting out all the visuals on this videotape and then also trying to understand is Samara really something paranormal? What, what is Samara? What does she represent? And I think it, there's a lot that's left to your imagination. And I like that. I, I think that that to me really works in, in an effective way as a horror film. And the visuals were really, really limited, but they were effective, obviously, because they really impacted you. Yes. And I, I do agree with you. This movie is unlike many horror movies. And I think that the incorporation of the mystery and it really, no gore, absolutely no gore. It, was ent it entirely relied on atmosphere and at some point visuals, but there were a, a tremendous lack of gore. And I think that that also really impacted the movie and it made it a really unique horror movie to watch because it was really just your own head just trying to like scare you because of the atmosphere and because you know that something could happen in these in this period of seven days and you're trying to figure out the mystery along with the characters and I think that that's really unique for a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, the the you know the actors in the movie are great. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Brian Cox. I think he's a great character actor. He plays the father of Samara. Um, I you know Naomi Watts is terrific and you know eminently watchable. She's obviously the main you know character of the film and carries the movie because she's in it. She's in almost every single scene. Uh, the creepy son. <laughs> It's just so suitably creepy. I thought that that was very interesting because the entire time we really thought that the creepy son was going to have a big play into Samara's evil plan, if you will. But he really didn't. He actually came off more as an innocent victim than someone that was very creepy. Well, the weird thing about it to me, and this is the one sort of plot hole in the film, is he clearly has some kind of connection with her. Uh, he uh, clearly is a, you know, has some ability to communicate with her and knows what's going on with her and yet doesn't express to Rachel any kind of warning or, you know, like maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Like, you know, like, like at the end of the film, he's very quick to say, what do you mean you helped her? I, helping her was not what you should be doing. And I'm like, you had seven days to tell her that <laughs> she shouldn't be helping her. And you said nothing. <laughs> so I don't know. That part was weird, but I, I mean, he was just sort of an enigma throughout the movie and I, I'm not entirely sure what his role was in the film, but he definitely, because he was so suitably creepy, he definitely added to the atmosphere. And I mean, the setting of the film in the Northwest with all of the rain, obviously that was a big player and did a great job. We talked about water uh, when we reviewed alien 
mm-hmm. and how, you know, dripping water and the sound of rain really added and lended to atmosphere. And that was clearly the case here. And, and, and you said that you came across something in your research about when they were filming. Yes. Yeah, so they obviously wanted it to be very rainy and they enhanced the atmosphere of rain by making everything just kind of bluish green, kind of that strange earthy um, tone, if you will. Yeah. Um, and when they were actually filming, which they filmed in Washington, the outdoor parts, it just happened to rain every single day that they filmed, which also added to the atmosphere of dread, which I thought was pretty interesting and just fortunate, I suppose. Um, but I, I really liked how they added to and enhanced the bluish green because there's no vibrant colors other than the moment where Rachel is sitting and watching the tape and the bright blood red of the autumn leaves of this tree is the sun comes through and it's just vibrant red. That's really the, o- the only bright color that's seen throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and you said uh, there was something funny about that tree as well. Yes, yeah, so the tree was a statue, obviously. No no tree can be that vibrant and red. Um, but the wind in Washington blew it over at least four times during their filming, and it was so frustrating to keep putting it back up. And they they said that it that it was almost as if that Washington just did not want that tree to be up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and when you watch the movie, the tree is so out of place. Uh, you you know that it's clearly not real, but it does uh, obviously have a role. It's in the videotape as well. And uh, yeah, it's it. You're right. I mean, the the use of uh, color and the use of um, visuals is really important in this movie and comes up over and over again. And and it's interesting because the director, uh, Gore Verbinski, it's the only horror film he's made and he did such an effective job with it. Like he really did a great job with suspense and atmosphere and everything else. And yet has never done anything else in the horror genre. And I think that's kind of unfortunate because he strikes me as obviously quite, you know, uh, proficient at, at, you know, bringing out the scares, creating an atmosphere without the use of gore and just making the audience uneasy. And, you know, I refer to the Japanese horror girl trope. Um, you know, if you've seen the ring, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, uh, the Japanese horror girl is basically, you know, a a girl wearing a oversized white, um, gown of some type or nighty yeah that basically hangs off of her body she her skin is very pale white but you can't see her face because her hair is wet and very long and covering her face hair just covering the face yeah and this comes up uh, repeatedly in different japanese horror movies and it's very effective because it is incredibly scary and um you also read something about the actress devay chase who uh, played uh, Samara. Yeah, so during the filming, she 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 obviously knew what was going on, so she obviously wasn't afraid, but she actually went to watch the movie in theaters, and when she was watching herself on screen, she was so horrified by her own performance and by, just by the character Samara, she had to cover her eyes, and she was legitimately afraid of herself, and so was nearly everyone in that theater. They were afraid to be around her. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm surprised they would recognize her because you really don't see her face very often. What's that? She looks completely different. Really, the only time you see her face is before she's thrown into the well by her mother. Um, and from that visual of her face in the film, she looks completely different. Yeah, so let's talk about that for just a second, because to me, that's another reason this movie is really effective, is because, you know, in so many horror movies, the the backstory of the character who's doing all of the killing is is difficult, right? So, you know, if you think about, like, you know, uh, Friday the 13th or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the backstory of those characters is like, oh, they're a crazy person who drowned in some or was killed in a house fire for Freddy uh, Krueger, for example, killed in a house fire, now exacts his revenge on everybody on the street. And it's just sort of this like lazy kind of backstory. The backstory of Samara is complicated. It's very involved and uh, really like flushed out very, very, in very, you know, a lot of detail, right? Mm, Yeah. And, and, and just around her backstory until the very end, but it really is her backstory and it makes perfect sense, frankly. And the seven days is tied to her backstory. And when you learn what the seven days is about, Quite frankly, that to me is almost as scary as anything else in the movie. Like you very rarely get to relate to the character who's doing all of the, you know, the terrible things. But in this movie, they do a great job of making you feel very sympathetic about Samara's character. What's that, Sam? Up until the end. Up until the end, obviously. But, But like, you know, when... Rachel is essentially rescuing, if you will, or freeing Samara. Hmm. You you feel terrible. I mean, you realize what she went through when her mother throws her down the well. She's alive. Why don't we explain to our audience a little bit um, her backstory? So she had these powers, um, essentially, and she basically made her mother go crazy. And they were both placed in, insane, in an insane asylum. And her mother tried to suffocate Samara. And when Samara had passed out, she tossed her into a well. And um, her mother closed the well, which formed a light ring. And Samara wasn't, ac- wasn't actually dead. And it took her seven days to die in the well. And she was trying to get out and she couldn't. And a lot of the visuals from the tape are incorporated from her time in the well, such as she lost her fingernails trying to claw her way out of the well. And in the tape, there's an, there's imagery of someone getting their fingernails taken off. So it's really, it really incorporates her time in the well. And it took her seven days to die in the well. And the last thing she saw was the light ring from the top. So I think that it really does a good job of incorporating Samara's backstory. And you really do feel sympathetic up until the end when Aiden decides to tell Rachel, you shouldn't have freed her that, that that's not going to do anything. Right. Because, you know, they spent a lot of this time in the film sort of telling you this backstory and making it seem like she was innocent. And then at the end, but even though when they're making it seem like she's innocent, you still get glimpses of the fact that, um, 
no, she's not so innocent. Like she had something to do with the horses dying on the island. And in her interviews on that videotape and the mental institution, you could tell there's something not right with this kid. And at the end, Aiden makes it very clear. No, she's just an evil biatch. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, this thing in the well was really terrible. But quite frankly, you know what? It was probably not necessarily a terrible thing for her to be like, you know, trapped down there. Um, like so yeah, right. I, I, backstory really does make the, make the audience sympathetic. That would be horrifying to be stuck oh, in a well and yeah. die over seven days. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then just as you're feeling sympathetic for her, she comes and has her <laughs> big screen reveal at the end, which left you once again, somewhat freaked out by the visuals. I disagree with that fact. That was you who was freaked out by that visual. I was completely fine. (laughs) I wasn't talking about Samara's visuals. I'm talking about the visuals of her final victim. Oh, yes, that's true. That was (laughs) it's true. Samara's visuals definitely freak me out. The, 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 it's done very well of her final, the final sort of, um, Climax of the film is uh, very well done and definitely leaves me creepy. There was something else I actually wanted to add about uh, the ring motif in this film. There actually wasn't really a motif um, in the original Japanese film. So this film that we watched uh, was based on Ringu, which is the Japanese film. And the motif of Ringu was really just how the curse was a cyclical nature that it was the cyclical nature of the curse. And that's why it was a ring. So I think that the American movie or the DreamWorks movie did a much better job of incorporating a motif that explained the Samara's backstory and really gave sympathy to a character that did not deserve any sympathy whatsoever. And you said also that they incorporated rings visually throughout the film, right? Yes, they did. So on the doctor's sweater, wallpaper, um, uh, pardon me, Rachel's, Rachel's door, I think you said as well. Rachel's apartment number, wallpaper, f- flooring, carpeting. They incorporated rings everywhere. Well, um, so at the end of it all, despite your dreading to see the film, despite the couple of moments when you really weren't enjoying watching it, uh, I believe uh, you you would recommend it, wouldn't you? I actually would. I would think that you would need to be a bit of a horror fanatic in order to watch it because even now while I'm filming this podcast, I keep turning around to make sure Samara's not about to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> well, she comes out of TV screen, so you should be looking ahead. That's true, but you never know. Anyways, I do think that it's a great movie and I think that it's unique and I think that I would definitely recommend it. So I'm going to disagree just a touch just because I am not a horror film fanatic, as everybody should know if they've been listening to this podcast. And I watched The Ring, you know, many years ago because I was intrigued and had been assured that it wasn't a slasher flick and and that I, you know, I would enjoy it as more of a thriller. And I did. Uh, you know, I really did. And, and uh, you know, I enjoyed it again watching it with you um, because I think it it fits the bill as a horror film, but it does more so as just a well-told story that just happens to be a horror film. And it was selected as one of the top 20 horror films of the first decade of the 2000s, and I think for good reason, because it really does 
um, it introduced a new kind of way of, of doing horror, um, one that relied much more on story than on just your typical, you know, jump scares and slasher type things. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of movies recently, some that are on our list and that we're going to get to eventually, uh, that are like that, that rely much more on story than on, on gore or slasher or anything like that. And, and this movie I think was uh, a, a good one to include on our list because of those reasons. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's a very influential um, horror movie. All right. So we have covered a lot of important, you know, seminal kind of horror genres. We've talked about zombies. We've talked about monster movies. We've talked about the ghost films. And so now we're ready to take on a new type of genre of horror movie, one that has been done since horror movies started back in the 1930s. Uh, we are going to take on the vampire movie. And there are many, many vampire movies. It's a, it's a, a trope that's been employed not just in horror, but also in action flicks like the Blade movies. Uh, it, it, it's been done many, many times in many, many different ways. Uh, but we're going to approach it from a more recent film, one that was done, uh, um, I think, uh, within the last five years. Uh, and it's a foreign film we're going to watch, although it's been done both uh, uh, in the original foreign film, but then it was redone as a, an American version. We're going to watch the original foreign film. And that film, Sam? Let the right one in. Yes, so I am really excited to watch that with you because uh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard great things about it. We've watched the trailer together, and uh, I think it's going to be another one that's going to employ um, atmosphere and kind of like um, just local uh, setting to create a lot of tension because it takes place above the Arctic Circle or near the Arctic Circle during winter, so there's going to be a lot of darkness and snow, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to watch that with you. Although just just looking at the trailer, it does seem to be a lot. It does seem to be a lot more like a drama to me than horror, and it does seem very dramatic. So I'm interested to see what this movie's about, and interested to see what happens. Yep, me too. Well, uh, that's all we've got for you today. Uh, we hope that you have a safe and happy holidays and that uh, you've enjoyed listening to Dead and Slaughter for the first several months that we've been doing it. We look forward to bringing you uh, continued scary movies uh, that uh, meet our criteria of being really good films that just happen to be scary at the same time in uh, 2021. So on behalf of me, Dad slash Dead, Jeff, uh, thanks for listening and have a great holiday. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this chaotic podcast. <laughs>